Hello there, one and all. CD, Danny Mac here, bringing you once again the, at a time, longest-running, independently-produced NXT podcast available. You know what, given given search results and how seldom you can, you can find an NXT-focused podcast, that very well may be true, but welcome back to the Undisputed Future Podcast, episode 126. Thank you so much, whether you're tuning in for the very first time, for the first time in a long time, which the only option to tune in is for the first time in a long time, because I haven't done this for the first, I haven't done this in quite some time. Thank you so much for tuning in. It feels great to just sit back, chillax, and find a brand of NXT that is worth ranting, raving, and reviewing, because 2.0 was not working out for me. I don't want to blame Karrion Cross entirely as to why I have no interest, even towards the fading days of black and gold, but there was just, let's face it, there was just something missing from the NXT products, especially with the 2.0 switch and what's this compared to the other black and gold wrestling brand and Tony Khan and everything going on with AEW. It, it was just, it, it was unbearable. It wasn't as worth talking about as I feel it was at a point. You give me that 2015 to 2017, 18, 19 stretch all over again, and I'll talk about NXT all day. Which is what made the conscious decision of trying to make this a black and gold focused brand podcast. I definitely will have a old school NXT match of the week coming up. I have a first one that's going to be the end discussion of the show, but I'm still continuing down the NXT review road because it's worth talking about now. It what granted, Braun Breaker's title reign. I missed the entire thing. That was worth watching every so often, but that was real life getting in the way and other uh, other non non interest in NXT issues that I'm just not going to get into because that's not what you're listening to the show about. Braun Breaker, outstanding talents. I'll get to him soon. I'll talk to him all about it because he was a catalyst in this return episode because how could I not discuss the namesake of this show, the undisputed future himself, Seth Rollins, defending, yes, a third world title in WWE, but it's a world championship. It seems to be accomplishing the goal of how he wants to defend the world championship, how he wants to be that guy for Raw, how he wants to be the real carrying the mantle and having a match every single opportunity he can. And... That's the exact kind of that that's the exact kind of reps you expect out of Seth Rollins and a proper fighting world champion. And this very return to NXT to face Braun Breaker, which, let's face it, after the NXT run, will be a focal point of the main roster. Hopefully he gets that Walter Gunther push because our Intercontinental Champion is in a very, very good place right now, and I don't see that place moving for a very, very long time. Seth Rollins versus Braun Breaker, highlighting things of this NXT Gold Rush edition. Uh, this will be covering both weeks of NXT Gold Rush because what was supposed to happen and return the first week, focusing on Seth Rollins versus Braun Breaker, I go to reboot the computer I'm recording this very show on, and I had a bunch of problems. So, following Friday, it is. So, I'm ending June with this, and I'll be starting July with a strong release. At least that's my opinion so far. Finn Bauer, the one to put Seth Rollins' defense here in a lot of jeopardy. Finn Bauer versus Seth Rollins. I was happy enough 
to be at the SummerSlam 2016 where Finn won the match, won the title, and also relinquished the title. So I've been up and down as a Finn Balor fan. I love a Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins rivalry because those are my two modern-day favorites, although that's still hard to say with my childhood hero and favorite pro wrestler of all time, Rey Mysterio, still kicking and, uh, and putting on great matches. Putting on great matches with athletic ability, what a perfect segue into the first match of NXT Gold Rush, Wesley taking on Master Tyler Bate. Wesley's North American Championship reign has been nothing short of impressive. The fact that the MSK member was able to branch off into singles competition so seamlessly and be a dominant champion in the process, a resilient champion, incredible match against Dijak, my personal favorite in Wesley's championship run. Somebody who has not held championship gold, Mustafa Ali, stepping in as special guest referee, seems to be sprouting a three-way rivalry going on. Uh, Mustafa Ali versus Tyler Bate announced for the first edition of NXT for the month of July. Great American Bash? Great American Bash edition of NXT. If it's not, it is now. A free agent possibly trying to carve out a new career path is Mustafa Ali following some other footsteps or they're following his footsteps. Uh, We have Los Lotharios. We have Dana Brooke, which Dana Brooke will be a topic of conversation in a matter of moments. Uh, Baron Corbin putting on an incredible NXT championship match against Carmelo Hayes, which will be part of the main event discussion for this returning episode. Uh, Lots to say about NXT opening up different career paths for various WWE superstars. A lot of people that I named have been people I had my eyes on about, you know, what if they just went down, hit the refresh button, and hop back to NXT. I still feel the same way about Apollo Crews. I feel like Apollo Crews didn't necessarily spend enough time to reinvent himself down in NXT unless Paul Heyman is able to get another crack at him with creative plans or whatever you want to believe Heyman's involvements with uh, with Apollo Crews in particular. He kind of seems, if you believe everything you read, had the same interest in Apollo that he does with Buddy Matthews and an Aleister Black. How do we get there? How do we get there? We're, 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 going, back, we're going back to Florida. The ground game to open up this match... Uh, Technically superior is Tyler Bates. Wesley, I think, the faster pace of a match seems to favor him when he's able to bounce back against a larger opponent. But Tyler Bate, roughly about the same size, but definitely the stronger of the two. So the control on the grounds against Wesley, definitely a highlight and a, and a major story point in this match. Uh, another another thing that should be mentioned is Mustafa Ali's counts that were way too fast or way too slow, but the counts balanced each other out by the end of the matchup, so nobody had a fair advantage, so something about fractions and canceling each other out. Uh, Not really a crooked refereeship by Mustafa Ali, still probably not what's favored in in the standard referee handbook. A little bit of a power trip by Mustafa Ali, not counting anything on the outsides, wanting things to 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 kind of to to end in the ring. I mean, if you want to say any motive that Ali had in this match in particular, it was definitely making sure that this match ended in the ring. 
When politics were aside, it was a very competitive match. There was a bop and a bang that would knock Wesley out of the ring clear to the floor. And exactly what I was getting at. Ali would follow suit. Tyler Bate would gripe just long enough for Wesley to regain composure, which Tyler Bate has a serious gripe. Ali slapped Wesley to get the champ back in the fight, which referee is sort of acting in a managerial spot there. I mean, that's one way to get a clean finish to your match, but Tyler Bate complaining to the referee rightfully about the referee's behavior opened up the door for a cardiac kick and still continuing this magnificent reign is Wes Lee as our North American champion. I like all three of these guys being featured together. Uh, Any chance for Tyler Bates to develop a personality? Because let's not forget, when he won the first major title, the first ever UK champion, he was young. He was, I don't know, 20 years old? I mean, I, I should look up these statistics and know that. I watched the damn tournament live when it aired, but... 20, 21 years old, young enough to uh, to just be able to legally drink a beer in the States or not even yet. So, all right, I'm giving, giving some of the audience to react to the shock of how late it takes United States citizens to, uh, to be able to buy alcohol. Uh, Wesley, a lot to say about that North American championship reign. I mentioned my personal favorite match against Dijak, Tyler Bate versus Pete Dunne at Takeover Chicago definitely comes to mind when I think of all-time great Tyler matches and Mustafa Ali, just consistently great showings on the main roster, just waiting to find and click with, I guess, an accepted personality because you look at the Retribution stuff, nobody wants to look at the Retribution stuff, not even the people in Retribution. Uh, Shout out Slapjack Shane Thorne, wherever he may be. Nowadays, I want to say in in some sort of alliance with Zack Sabre Jr., but I'm going to leave that to the more intelligent fans listening to this to uh, to correct me on. At podcast underscore UF on Twitter for all your hate. Uh, speaking of things that, I mean, there was a little bit to hate. It's, it's Chase U not having a proper professor. Uh, Chase U currently being led, at least going in to this matchup, by MVP and trophy holder. Uh, one Duke Hudson. I had my doubts. I was watching at the time when the Duke Hudson Chase U alliance first started because how do you go from somebody so cocky and so out for himself and you know trying to screw over fellow gamblers at his poker table and failing? How do you uh, how do you trust that guy as a worthwhile student other than you know trying to take a few lessons and then use them against the very students that that he's sitting in that very room with. But Duke Hudson's Duke Hudson's loyalty to Chase U, it's not it you can't question it. You can't question it. Stepping up in the major spots, taking that MVP title very, very seriously, and walking around with that trophy like it's a King of the Ring trophy back when those things were highlighted with importance. So all the credit in the world to Let's call him MVP and substituting professor, Duke Hudson. But the star student of this matchup, Thea Hale. Thea Hale winning a battle royale to earn a shot at Tiffany Stratton. Thea Hale obviously paying attention in class. She went from high school straight to Chase U and the alternate route to the traditional college run, which 
all the credit in the world to the girl. There's, there's not a day that goes by that I don't personally think myself what could happen if, uh, if you choose a correct path such as that. Well, correct is subjective, I guess. Right, folks? Um, something that is correct is Charlie Dempsey and Drew Gulak being featured as technical spectacle professors and the really boring and mean ones with the slideshow that you know you don't want to pay attention to because the way it's presented and it's boring you to tears just a little bit. But at the same time, you know there's valuable information in there and you know that information is going to be on the test and you know you don't want to take that particular course again. So you pay attention to what they do and then all of a sudden things click and their lessons, their lessons stick with you and their lessons are executed and you are able to look and just within an eyelash become NXT Women's Champion. But not when at the top of the helm sits Tiffany Stratton. When first looking at Tiffany Stratton and this advent of NXT 2.0, I kind of groaned and sighed and I'm sure I'm not the only one who thought this was going to be all looks and not so much in between the ropes. And then the gymnast backgrounds comes into play. And then you listen to her on different interviews, like one in particular on Busted Open showing how she cares about psychology while she has the athletic ability already from her background in other sports, but she's still learning as much as she can to be that in-ring talent at the PC. That's the kind of dedication you want to hear. That's something that, yeah, while it's hard to suspend your disbelief and truly boo her as a heel at times and, you know, all those things that modern wrestling fans can suffer with, it gives you something to think about while you're watching her wrestle and seeing these two paired together and put on not a long match. It didn't have to be a long match. It had to be just long enough to prove that Thea Hale could put doubt in people's minds at Tiffany retaining. And had it been for not just the lesson of Drew Gulak and Charlie Dempsey, the submission, the Kimura lock coming into play, but the unfortunate interference of pulling the rope back so that the champion could not obtain a legal rope break. Dempsey and Gulak didn't know what could happen should the rope break be executed. Maybe Hale would be able to roll through. She'd be able to snap it on again, executed from another move. She had the champion in peril there. That shoulder was jeopardized. While the referee was distracted, Tiffany tapped out. We could have had the youngest NXT Women's Champion of all time from this episode. But an ironic twist in the education system of Chase U... Dempsey and Gulak preventing Thea Hale from the victory. Tiffany able to take control once again, looking as good as a champion could. And, well, in the beginning, sounding exactly as a champion would be expected to. She was, she she had her, you know, she was on the ropes. She was away from the ropes. And I realized I was probably supposed to talk about the pep rally the week before, looking further into my notes, but this is uh, this is how we're going. We're talking NXT Women's Championship action first. Can you tell this is a return episode? The format's, format's just not clicking yet, folks, but you showed up for some wrestling conversation, and you got it. So, <laughs> whereas Chase U was rallying behind their young contender, 
It's still Tiffy time. Tiffany cannot be denied. I feel like this title reign is going to be long. It's going to be significant. From that busted open radio interview, again, paraphrasing our champion here, she wants to be in NXT as long as it takes for her to truly be ready. And that's the kind of work ethic you want to hear and you want to respect. And that's that's what you want in the future of WWE superstars. You want everybody to pick up every single piece that they can about every single aspect. And that's what we want as fans, is it not? And we want a show that's going to stay organized, at least by subject matter. I'm going to get myself all set after we're done talking about a major, major return for Chase U. The special professors would berate and beat down Duke Hudson and Thea Hale, respectively, before a returning Mr. Chase. He played Principal Dean and lays the smackdown on Dempsey and Gulak with a Chase U-based bionic elbow, which I'm a huge fan of, knowing Dusty Rhodes' importance in development of NXT. And I love the Chase U-based offense that exists in the match already, such as the five-piece Randy Orton-esque stomps that seem to occur in uh, in the Chase and, du- and, uh, and Duke Hudson tag team matches, which I'm very excited for the potential that Chase... And Hudson taking on Gulak and Dempsey has the serious, serious demeanor, I guess, of really what Chase U was introduced as. And, you know, the Bobby Knight sort of over-the-top coach personality that Andre Chase continues to be. So let's see how the tag team pairing of Andre Chase and Duke Hudson can take it to Drew Gulak and his own student in Charlie Dempsey. Really, really hoping that William Regal's on-screen contracts, asterisks, I I don't know how all that works. I want to see William Regal in some sort of pairing with Gulak and his son, because that's just, that's just, that's that's what's missing, is is a William Regal on the mic here in in new NXT. Uh, Just a couple, uh, veering off just a little bit to a backstage segment, NXT Anonymous, which I thought was already exposed as Blair Davenport's, I don't know how this segment in particular, uh, how this segment in particular pieced together, but anonymous or not so anonymous in Blair Davenport's catches Lyra Valkyria and JC Jane going at it back and forth. They would later on in the following week have a backstage altercation, and Lyra would be put over by a visiting Rhea Ripley. Of the Judgment Day. So the Eradicator putting on Lyra Valkyria. That might be a future main roster matchup to keep your eyes open for. Uh, Blair Davenport, I have no idea if Booker T knows who she is quite yet. Anyway, uh, for the number one contendership against the Gallus Boys this week, Malik Blade and Idris Anofe were able to overcome Hank and Tank and Briggs and Jensen. Briggs and Jensen being former NXT UK Tag Team Championships. To some irony, I'm not the only person who could have found that just absolutely bizarre that these American plaid-wearing country-esque boys are walking around with Tag Team Championships from the UK. I'm very impressed with the Blade and Anofe pairing. I missed the one-on-one matchup. That they had the previous week, but I did see why they wanted to have that to 
develop better as a team. So I like the storytelling behind it. I'm going to assume because these guys are great athletes that the one-on-one match was passable, possibly even great. Check out the only other conceivable NXT podcast reviews out there for for maybe a match review on that one. But Bladen and Ofe would take on the Gallus boys. Going ahead, because I'll, I'll get into tag team action when we drift back into championship matches, but I'm going to launch into a subject that I did not think would be as popular or as noteworthy as it appears to be. If you want the overall, on, if you take the overall online perspective of professional wrestling fans as gospel, Dana Brooke taking on Cora Jade. Dana Brooke is always looking for redemption and always looking for that breakthrough. And she clearly works hard. And there's been a number of things to try and get the audience as a whole, or at least at least wide enough to cast a big enough net where she's more popular than at least people having a nonchalant reaction, a neutral reaction to her entrance for lack of a better term. And I've tried to have that perspective. Sometimes as a fan, you got to realize that somebody's been there as long as they have for a reason. And just going as far back as I feel like I've seen Dana Brooke compete on the NXT stage when she was teamed with Emma, which to this day feels like the only thing that was truly working for her. Just the roles were reversed. You had Emma with the shades and kind of a somewhat big mama cool vibe, not in the same way that they were going for with Raquel Gonzalez later on, but you know, the aviator shades and it's all about me and Dana Brooke being that muscle that doesn't need to have too much A-U-R-A-L, oral charisma as much as I couldn't think of another way to put that, folks. I, I don't know. That's why I had to spell it out for you. L.A. Knight. Yeah. Anyway. The only thing that she would have to do in a bodyguard position is stand there and flex and have that entrance and the, the you know, the, the no-hands cartwheel, which is very impressive. She's got the athletic ability. There's something to the developing moveset. I don't know what the missing pieces are because this match ended up giving the audience live an injury angle that looked believable. Dana Brooke launching into a handspring elbow attack to Cora Jade. Looks like she landed wrong, sprains her knee, wants to fight and continue in that true babyface fashion, and Cora Jade since her heel turn, which... If it wasn't for Roxanne Perez, I don't know how well Cora Jade as a heel would work. I'm still very interested to see if they go a heel prodigy route with Roxanne, but more on more on her when we get to it because that rivalry was spectacular, especially considering how young these two women are, Cora Jade and Roxy Perez. That's going to be one that gets revisited on Raw or revisited on SmackDown and that's going to be something that really sinks into the the NXT fans' minds. That's going to stick with you. 
So really the question here is, at least in my opinion, is is Cora Jade that over? Or is the the live crowd for NXT audience, which going back to 2015, I still remember where I was watching this promo go down. Kevin Owens talking to the, at the time, Full Sail University crowd in 2015 August. They booed the idea of having a takeover in Brooklyn. And Kevin Owens said it outright, like the John Cena of wrestling crowds, just back and forth and, you know, boos unnecessarily and the mixed reactions when it takes certain exposure to grow as a brand and expand into these bigger shows and do what they got to do. That, that sums it up. Sometimes that particular live crowd in Florida makes it more difficult for superstars than it has to. Is it the intentional reaction of, oh, we know what's going on. They're trying to push Dana Brooke in front of us and finally make us believe in her and give her some raucous good cheers as a as an actual babyface that we can, you know, put up on her shoulders and elevate as fans, but no, it really feels like it's just intentional. Okay, we see what you're doing here, and we're not going to accept it. Cora Jade is still going to get that pos- more positive reaction, despite how great she was mocking on the ring apron and the mock cries and the classic heel stuff that should be done given an injury angle for a baby face and We'll see if this develops into a longer program. We'll see how long this Dana Brooke babyface situation continues to develop. But if it's just based on that particular live crowd, it's a tough sell, especially mentioning all the other attempts between NXT, also far back, and the numerous shots on the main roster, and not even wanting to mention the 24-7 title situation that Belts was as ugly as Sin. I don't know. Dana Brooke being this defiance and determined and you can do anything. I think there may be something there only because as great as this women's division is, there's still room for that not complicated molds of a veteran going back down to NXT to set a positive example kind of babyface. It seems simple enough, and given what we saw with uh, with a possible protege angle developing for her, it could be the route they're going. Maybe if this other gymnast talent, which, again, chalking this back up to being a return to Back in Black and Gold episode, uh, not recalling her name, but I know Dana Brooke has a possible protege coming through. She offered to show her a couple things in the ring. Maybe if that particular student can be good and the teacher gets credit for that maybe it's okay Dana helped develop somebody good in this developmental situation and it's something we want to see and then there could be a whole jealousy angle of you know the classic teacher versus student pro wrestling storyline because that's I feel like it's tried and true and if they're going to go full circle, if they're going to steer, if they're going to steer into a possible skid of Dana Brooke going heel, it might as well be in that situation. Make us care about a possible teacher and student relationship, and then flip the switch.
I really feel that's the uh, that's the only possible situation to go there. Uh, there's some family business with Stacks, good old uh, good old Channing Stacks Lorenzo there, working for the Don Tony D. I don't know why Tony D is in jail, other than the possible other reasons that Tony D could be in jail. Think of all the perpetrated crimes on The Sopranos and just just take your pick from there and throw Tony D's name on it. This this Gallus situation gets pretty complicated because Stax does what seems to be family business and kidnaps Gallus's Joe Coffee. But I want to talk about this world title situation first for the namesake of the show, Seth Rollins versus the other generational talents and I'm going to talk I'm going to talk that phrase in a little bit about our NXT our current NXT world champion Carmelo Hayes but Braun Breaker Seth Rollins world heavyweight title the first time this world title has been defended on NXT but let's face it this new world title is an infant so this opportunity came very soon and let's face it is it really a necessary first time ever logo to throw on it but anything to pop and prove a selling point for this match i as a seth rollins fan did not need any other additional selling points for this matchup and like i mentioned i'm a fan of watching Braun breaker i caught a lot of his championship run despite not sitting here and talking about it I was privileged enough to be in Los Angeles for WrestleMania weekend, but you try adjusting from New York East Coast time to West Coast time, waking up 9.30 West Coast time, not even waking up 9.30 West Coast time, being there for doors 9.30 West Coast time with that kind of jet lag as that's, that's why it took so long to get the return episode. Let's face it, folks, because if there was one event I should have been there and talking about, it was Stand and Deliver, that Carmelo Hayes and Braun Breaker match ended up absolutely delivering for me as I sat there and watched it in my hotel room, but this this feels right. Namesake of the show, Seth Rollins defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Braun Breaker. As mentioned earlier, the World Heavyweight Champion Rollins was in some jeopardy due to some injured ribs at the hands of Finn Bauer. Three coup de grace as well as a backstage assault the night before. So Rollins was very banged up heading into this match with the former champion and young rising star. The first, the, the first few exchanges had come off to a fast start. The ribs have the bullseye for Braun Breaker. Soften up the champion for the spear and take that title from him. However, that's easier said than done when you're facing one of the world's very best in Seth Rollins. There's a reason why he won that very tournament and why he was able to have that incredible match to win that title against AJ Styles. And if there is a dog about to eat... In the middle of me discussing this match, I may pause and come back to it. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that, folks, but, uh... Yes, I'm talking about you. Alright, quick return. 
Don't forget, Seth Rollins has banged up ribs and Braun Breaker wants to hit the spear. Alright folks, I'm back and you didn't even know I went anywhere. The dog is fed and hydrated and so am I. Anyway, Rollins' ribs are still hurt and Braun Breaker is still continuing to try and soften up the champion for the spear. How about Rollins during this matchup though? Injury and all rolling into not just one, not two, three consecutive dives against the powerful Braun Breaker. The cardio is still unmatched despite what a ribs injury might do to the champion's breathing. And shortly after those three dives, there would be a huge announce table frog splash. So when Seth Rollins returns back to NXT, it's with quite the literal bang. Uh, picture in picture, I saw a buckle bomb, which I hate to see that move picture in picture because it's one of my favorites in Seth Rollins' arsenal. But anyway, no, uh, no dice there. Speaking of no dice, no water in the pool. For the in-ring frog splash, the announced table frog splash looked just fine and hit Breaker where it hurts, but in-ring ribs first, and Braun would almost break Rollins after hitting that signature power slam that he's won the championship with countless times before, the NXT championship, numerous times before two-time champion Mr. Breaker. You would think that the spear countering the stomp and the damage would end it. But no, Rollins keeps on fighting. Rollins, not one, but two stomps to finish Braun, a show of respect to the young, promising Steiner, very good matchup, and still world champion Seth Rollins. However, Finn Balor would keep a promise that he made wherever Seth was he would find him, and he would attack him. Money in the Bank is going to be something special, especially to me as a fan. As I mentioned earlier, Balor and Rollins, two of my modern-day favorites. I was able to be in the building and witness the 2016 SummerSlam first-ever Universal Championship match, as well as the hurts that Finn Balor fans had to endure to watch him surrender a title. He's one of the few guys that has pinned Roman Reigns. Finn Bauer has had his share of accomplishments in WWE, but we're waiting for something to stick. Seth Rollins, always a worthy contender of a major title. Always somebody who can carry a brand based on his matchups and personality. So either one of these guys, whether it's to see the Judgment Day really start to reach their full championship potential because let's not forget, Damian Priest, I know a lot of people are talking about LA Knights and the upset and as well as the eyes it would bring if Logan Paul won the Money in the Bank briefcase. I'm going to say tomorrow because based on recording time, but it's going to be considered later in the day by the time I release this or could be even could even be yesterday. It's going to be a weekend release so that you can listen to this before the next edition of NXT, and that's the kind of schedule I'm going to hope to uh, to stick with. But more on that towards the end. Balor versus Rollins going to be a very special matchup coming up at Money in the Bank. Before I get to Gold Rush Round 2, 
and Carmelo Hayes facing Baron Corbin to defend the NXT Championship, Melo would debut on Monday Night Raw against Finn Balor. Clean loss by Melo in an impressive match. Coup de gras. While it's not ideal to lose, Carmelo Hayes has proven that a matchup against a huge star and a trustworthy saying of get over and getting, no, go over, go over and get over. That's what, uh, shout out to the Bust Open crew for putting that one in my mind on a almost daily basis, but going over and getting over. It's the case with Carmelo Hayes. That first early on matchup against Adam Cole, that's the one that put him on the map. A loss against Finn Balor in a great showing, a competitive matchup is going to put him on the map and put eyes on him as he continues to work his way through this NXT championship. But that puts him in a prime position for when it's time, he's in a good place to debut. It's something they can go back to. Remember that huge matchup that he had in his debut against Finn Balor. So in a loss, Carmelo Hayes is able to make things work out just fine. He's not going to miss. This joke did not get the love on Twitter that I thought it would, but what does Carmelo Hayes and the band Aerosmith have in common? They both never miss a thing. And on that, that's as about an awful of a segue as we're going to get into night true of Gold Rush. Uh, Tiffany Stratton versus Thea Hale. We discussed beginning of the show, ladies first, and the NXT women's division is always something that should have a spotlight on it. Just to highlight again, Tiffany Stratton versus Thea Hale. Discussion a little bit in the beginning, but a great matchup. A huge return for Andre Chase and very much looking forward to Thea Hale's future opportunities to be a young champion, as well as the tag team matchup potential that Chase and Hudson against Dempsey and Gulak has. Ilya Dragunov. Another one of the NXT UK imports of talents that has happened since the last time I put out an episode. Uh, Pretty deadly. We've seen their success on the main roster. Gunther reigning Intercontinental Champion. Brushed on him a little bit earlier before as well. There's a lot of spotlight on the UK town. Butch and Ridge Holland and... You know, it, it's quite the diverse Tyler. Let's let's talk current NXT talents. Tyler Bate also sharing that former NXT UK umbrella with uh, with him. No, I'm Dar. I'm just going to keep sitting here and listing UK talents, aren't I? Without going back to Unba Sigbar, Ilya Dragunov. Uh, the spotlight deserves to be on him. I don't think I've ever seen that guy have a bad match. The last man standing match against DiJack recently ends. There's another common thread mentioning Dijak. Nobody was talking about the huge matches that T-Bar had, were they? No, I don't think so. Dijak, another major matchup against Dragunov in that last man standing. That was a hard-hitting, hardcore contest. Uh, The two matches against Gunther, two personal favorites, hard-hitting chests as red as hamburger meat uh, at the end of that one. So... Ilya Dragunov, one to watch out for 
whether it's this roster, I feel like he's kind of due for a call-up soon. I feel like he can be the one to, all right, I didn't end the UK title reign of Walter, of Gunther, but maybe, maybe Dragunov to get that huge boost of momentum from a call-up. He's one to watch to possibly take the Intercontinental Championship away from the ring general. More NXT UK imports, more good reasons to segue into the Gallus Boys. The Gallus Boys currently on top as our tag team champions, and Joe Coffey, we thought, was in a trunk somewhere. Maybe the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. I know uh, I know Tony D's a local area guy, kind of. I'm not exactly sure where Stax is from. Stax is from, the, uh, from Rat's Nest. More on that in in just a little bit. Gallus Boys on top taking on Blade and Anofe. As I mentioned, I missed the week that they competed one-on-one. It obviously led them to success as a tag team because they were able to become number one contenders in that triple threat matchup. So obviously there's something to the dual in-sync offense of Malik and Idris. It's quick. It's clean. It's crisp. It's it's something to watch. I feel like the tag team division in NXT continues to develop. It's not as big as it was at one time. I could sit here and hope and hope and hope for the Undisputed Era in their heyday to come back because that was the best time for this division. And folks, where's the lie? All right, for those of you who didn't turn off the program after that, Gallus boys are as strong as they can be. Wolfgang is huge and has his own fair share of athletic ability. I've seen the man hit a swanton bomb of his own before. Mark Coffey, the huge powerhouse of the gang. Both teams are really similar in style to each other as partners, meaning Malik and Idris are both quick and athletic and almost cruiserweight-esque, and the Gallus boys are... Barring a couple top rope attempts by by Wolfgang, both men on Gallus' side can definitely be considered a dual team of powerhouses. As mentioned earlier, Los Lotharios in Angel Garza and Umberto looking on have their eyes obviously on the NXT Tag Team Gold for themselves, following in the footsteps because I believe all these were here first in Ali and Dana Brooke and Baron Corbin as the NXT bound free agents. I think so. I think the I think the uh, I think the Lotharios were the last of that gang to to join NXT here. The aerial offense combinations, as impressive as they were, by by Ble- by Blade and Anofe, not enough to end the Gallus boys, and not due to lack of trying, but interference. By Channing Lorenzo, all stacks, you would think, on behalf of the Don, and on behalf of the Don, meaning against Gallus. Because as we, as viewers up until this point, were led to believe, it was Joe Coffey who ratted out Tony D for X, Y, and Z in whatever crimes and whatever charges. But a huge uppercut by stacks. And just feeding Blade and Anofe right back to Gallus. 
Double team offense to retain. I think, I thought at that point, Coffee and Stacks cut sort of a deal of their own. There's something there. Something ain't right. Stacks looking to take over the family. I don't know what family. I'm waiting to see more members come from this. I know there was three of them. I know one of them, the one that wasn't Stacks. I'm gonna say Domino. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember his name, and I don't remember his current name in AEW either. But this this family's got to grow if I'm gonna take this at all seriously. There's so there's so much room for potential and factions, and I feel like there's a new faction forming on pro wrestling television every single week. Why can't we just get more members? Why can't they find more Italian guys to care about? It's something to think. As <laughs> As loyal as Sopranos fans are, there there could be that that section that could really attach themselves to to these characters in that storyline. But there's got to be a couple more guys. If it's just 50-50 fighting for control, I need some outliers. I need some I need some side characters. I need to start I need to start scratching my head a little bit more. I need to be I need to be captivated as a pro wrestling fan, but also as a fan of drama TV. And if they're gonna head off in this mafioso wannabe storyline i'm gonna need just just a little bit more just a little bit more behind it uh but joe coffee meeting with tony d in jail and airing his own suspicions as to how and why stacks could be could be participating in a coup not a coup de grace we talked about finn balor already in this italian family mafioso split and speaking of splits, Joe Gacy and his faction and the former Grizzled Young Veterans. And I, guys, I, I don't like their current names. I don't even know what they are. Jagger, Rip, or Rip Jagger, or Mick something, and I don't know. They'll always be Gibson and Drake to me. So that's what I'm going to refer to them as. If you want to skip ahead or turn this thing off because I'm going to call them by their grizzled young veteran names, please don't. But there's plenty of show after this to uh, to listen to. And not much, not much here of my personal concern. I feel like Ava Rain is coming into her own as a character, kind of. The in-ring stuff still leaves a lot to be desired, but... For those of us who are old enough to remember, let's think about how quickly and how often The Rock was booed in his debut days. So there's a lot to take into account there. Uh, Gibson and Drake were last heard and last read as wanting their own release from NXT and WWE. That was touched on here as well. Joe Gacy has been looking for a W as of late. Couldn't find any. I know he had some importance in the North American championship scene. Lately, and one of his rival—I mean, one of his matches—and that their rivalry with Braun Breaker is one of the first things I just wanted to tune out to. So there, there's not a there, there's a split in the schism. I don't know how strong the four roots of this one tree are going to be, and for how much longer it could split into a manager and wrestler situation with Ava and Joe Gacy for. A little while and maybe they start to branch out, pun intended, and take a couple more with them for this 
for this schism. I I don't know how this faction is gonna is gonna continue. I don't know how we're supposed to care about a faction without a credible tag team within it. Not everything could be not everything could be the judgment day where you can see each individual person as a as a modern day star and how that fits and everybody have their role. I feel like in NXT, we've oh, granted I'm accustomed to it. I feel like there's always room and there's always a necessity for strong lead, strong female lead and a tag team. Classic faction format. I feel like we need that, especially for developing talents and their characters. Speaking of strong in that sense, we have the Creed brothers and Ivy Nile concerning themselves in this Jerry Springer-esque situation, a informal talk show. I don't know what this was doing on Gold Rush. This didn't seem like anything that couldn't wait unless they absolutely have to do the loser leaves town match that all of this would lead to. For, uh, for as immediately as next week. The Creed Bros take on the Dyad. The former grizzled young veterans. James Drake and Zach Gibson. Next week. Uh, where do I want to end that segment on? I want to end this on a high point of Julius Creed and I. Rock a very similar frame of glasses. And that's. That's about where the where the similarities end. With me and, and Julius Creed. Anyway. Moving on, a new, what looks like, promising on the personality side. I didn't get these gentlemen full names, but Bronco and Lucian, looking like former football folks, promising look, shining confidence in this vignette. They're, uh, they're a couple of guys to watch. So, I feel like there's a promising tag team. My first immediate thought, I'm sure this was supposed to be planted, in my head, but I definitely want to see those guys lock up with the Creed Bros just based on look, first and foremost in uh, in their major rivalry. Speaking of confidence, our NXT champion getting hyped by his hype man, Trick Williams, and Rhea Ripley. This was, this was her first appearance. I mentioned a little bit before she puts over Lyra Valkyria in a women's locker room segment a little bit later on in this, but Rhea Ripley would appear and. Don't interfere with Judgment Day business. Great match with Finn Bauer, but if you interfere with Judgment Day business, there's going to be a lot more where that came from. And speaking of something that I hope there's a lot more to come from, I'm a huge fan of the Heritage Cup format. I, it, It's like an Ironman match in a sprint sort of format, but also really technical and lengthened out to spread out through literally the last possible seconds. This this was an electric match. Dragon Lee, not somebody I knew a whole lot about before his NXT run. I'm glad I did my research on Dragon Lee before he came to the brands. Great matches from what I've seen and that debut in in the latter match. It it's been it's been all go since then. And a protege that's a popular, popular, popular word, this podcast. But a protege of Seth Rollins, Nathan Fraser, going back to NXT UK talent imports and where the Heritage Cup had stemmed from. Nathan Fraser has put on great matches from what I've seen from him. And each individual rounds of this matchup would be no 
exception. A first-round feeling out process, these guys getting along, kind of knowing each other well, I'm assuming, by watching each other in that ring from the back and on tape and however else they want to resource and research their opponents. Round two, a fairly quick fall for Frazier. He was obviously a fast learner from that first round. Round three, a lot of fast pace back and forth. No fall for anybody. But round four would finally bring some success for Dragon Lee off a huge, huge powerbomb. So going on one-to-one, heading into round five, Fraser would an impressive, impressive leap, superplex, which would fall and counter into a huge driver by Dragon Lee. Both of these guys laying it out all on the line for this round five. A literal down-to-the-wire, down-to-the-last possible seconds for each competitor. Back and forth, countering pinfalls. But the clockwork and the in-ring IQ on this day would belong to Nathan Fraser. One, two, three counts by the skin of his teeth. Still the Heritage Cup champion. A great match. Watch all five rounds. Absolutely worth it. One of the high points of Gold Rush that snuck up on me and ended up being a major highlight in these last two weeks of action. All right, we're headed into more women's discussion to talk Kiana James versus Gigi Dolan, but I want to take a pit stop and talk about somebody I never thought that WWE would get me to care about, not even a little, and even if it is a little right now, it's a little, but it's for a huge reason, and that it's Von Wagner. It's Von Wagner and a possible turning babyface Roger Stone. I don't see it. I don't know why I started... I mean, there, there's a lot to care about. Seeing somebody have to go through that and all of that as a childhood and you put your empathy with the parents and you know that one of the parents is a very coach there and it's just... He's Albert's son, by the way, Matt Bloom. Matt Bloom and uh, Matt Bloom is Von Wagner's dad. So just knowing that he's bringing up all that again, and that's being played out on camera, and you think about him reliving that, just as a coach and somebody watching the products that closely, and having to give all of this his blessing to discuss it. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe there's some piece of the back of my mind that I've been looking for a reason to care about Von Wagner, and that's been it. Maybe because it's just this car crash so bad you can't look away as a heel that, who knows, maybe it'll work out as a baby face. Maybe there's, you know, not just maybe, there's plenty of parents and relating to situations like this with health scares and just the worst possible scenario that you don't wish on anybody to have to go through in parenthood. So... Maybe there is something to to bringing up all of this for for Vaughn. But anyway, I want to drift away from that. From so bad that it's good to so good that it really, uh, it does make you think at least a little bit. But Kiana James versus Gigi Dolan. Gigi Dolan and the split up 
of Toxic Attraction, Mandy Rose, former NXT Women's Champion, not here and making more money than she has probably anywhere. Doing, well, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the internet do what the internet does in research on that one. I'm gonna talk the wrestling portion of this. Gigi Dolan versus J.C. Jane. The emotional context of the rivalry, it was there. I cared about it. Faction split. You see the head through the door. And the major kick from that episode. And the bruise and the scarring that would come from it. But at the same time, once they got in the ring together, I don't know if... I don't know if the chemistry isn't there. Or the chemistry didn't have time to develop enough before they pushed this as the big rivalry outside of the NXT Women's Championship picture. Because that's something I thoroughly enjoy as a fan. And you can go back in the archives and you'll hear me say this. I want a major rivalry outside of the title picture to care about. The emotional attachment there will make me care about them more as title contenders. And I'm positive I'm not the only fan who shares this this relation. The match between James and Dolan, not particularly good or not particularly bad either. And if you notice the common thread here, it is Gigi Dolan and the the in-ring matchups. But still caring about her as a character. Now, I don't know if this way to end it was intentional or not, but it got me thinking. Keanu James with a huge, I'm considering that, money bag or... She's an accountant of sorts. Maybe it's at one point her client's funds. But on this particular evening, it was used to carry paint cans in. And when the paint cans were first used, I thought, okay, she's pouring orange paint on Gigi Dolan. She's mocking her hair color. She's saying, oh, you want your hair to be that color? Here's the rest of your body too. And that simple form of storytelling ends arc of humiliation, I'm able to put my mindset into. But then once you break out a blue paint, me as a New Yorker, I'm going to think that Kiana James is pushing the idea that she's a Met fan on Gigi Dolan and how the heck does the blue fall into all of this? I don't know, folks. Maybe I'm just saying a second pan, a second paint can of orange would have made more sense in my humble opinion. But that's it's not a rivalry. It's not it's not clicking with me outside of the women's championship picture. My eyes are still set on who can possibly take it away from Tiffany Stratton. Something that I could possibly care about now that it's been in front of me, now that I have reason to care about her, Blair Davenport being attacked, excuse me, Blair Davenport doing the attacking to the prodigy Roxanne Perez. Roxy attacked during a Snapchat show for NXT. Uh, If there's something you will not get from this podcast, it's a show on Snapchat. I am a man in his 30s. Anyway, uh, Roxy versus Blair, official for next week. Lyra Valkyria and JC Jane going at it in the women's locker room, Rhea Ripley putting over Lyra Valkyria as a badass. That's a huge moment because as somebody who's been a little bit casual in their NXT viewing lately, I know Lyra made it to the finals in the NXT Women's Championship Tournament against Tiffany Stratton, but if you missed that, the enforcement 
in the compliments from the eradicator? That's what you want to hear. That's something that makes your ears perk up a little bit. And you think, okay, I'll keep my eyes on Lyra for just a little bit more. Maybe that, maybe the tournament finals come full circle and she ends up becoming the one to defeat Tiffany somewhere on down the line. Main event time for the in-ring portion of this podcast from recent NXT. Heavy Metal, Lone Wolf, Baron Corbin returning to NXT. Not, not complete with the theme music that I personally wanted to hear, but the presentation was there in all its bells and all its whistles in the entrance, as well as the current incarnation of the shaved head for Baron Corbin and as a man also rocking that look I know when it's time and credit where it's due Baron Corbin did look very good this week but not as good as the champ always does Carmelo Hayes this is it's a huge talking point but where is not the biggest guy He shines like a diamond. He's got the personality. He's got the in-ring ability. He's got got the it factor. And the it factor doesn't know a size. There is no height requirement for having it. And Carmelo Hayes has it. There's a simple reason why they call him him. And he's still not missing. He's the complete star in-ring look on the mic. He's got that physical charisma as well. If he remains consistent, he can develop himself into a long-time babyface. He can play either role. He's he's good on either side of the coin. I haven't seen something from Carmelo Hayes that I haven't absolutely loved. The North American Championship reign, he made that the A title on this show. The NXT World Heavyweight Championship might as well be the S-tier title for this show. And if we want to talk consistency, let's go back to the opponent here. Baron Corbin, the challenger. A consistent mainstay on the main roster. A main event player at times. Always a guy you could put in. I need a heel to get this babyface over. Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans taking on Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. Say what you want about the rivalry, but there was a lot of heat behind it because of how easy it is to dislike Baron Corbin. So all the credit in the world where it's due to the challenger for the NXT Championship. Former Gold Gloves guy knows how to throw a great punch, which if you're looking across the board in today's modern wrestling landscape, it's not very common throwing an actual right hand in the proper manner for this sport. And by that, I, of course, mean not a closed fist. No, that's not what I mean. Uh, Anyway, in-ring IQ of both these men, great matchup, big man versus little man. Good matchup. Carmelo Hayes continues to not miss in his championship defenses, and Baron Corbin continues to deliver when he's placed in a high-profile situation. And if if, if my eyes weren't deceiving me, I think I saw a couple new additions in the moveset that he wasn't able to use 
on the main roster. I think I saw a couple couple new additions there for uh, for Baron Corbin hitting a beautiful, what is my personal favorite in his arsenal, a major deep deep six on Carmelo Hayes. Just to reiterate, very believable. The big man having control, but also selling as properly as he can against the smaller opponent. And in the first opponent, the first challenger not named Braun Breaker, fact check me on that one too, at podcast underscore UF. But the first opponent for Hayes' title reign not named Braun Breaker, he needed to dig really deep into his arsenal to put away a veteran in Baron Corbin. But he would shoot. He would not miss. Nothing but net. Major leg drop to the back of the neck. To the back of the bald head of Baron Corbin. I could say that. I'm a bald man myself. Three counts. And still our NXT champion Carmelo Hayes. I look forward to many more title defenses of Carmelo Hayes's. I don't know where they're going to come from. Who's going to step up? I would love to see Ilya Dragunov, but that would involve one of these two men turning heel. And I feel like the amount of momentum that Dragunov has behind him after that last man standing match, he's in a very good resilient babyface role right now. But as far as sizable comparison opponents to one another, I think Hayes versus Dragunov can really, really deliver. Uh, at podcast underscore UF, let's continue the conversation. Who do we think Carmelo Hayes' next opponent for the NXT championship will be? Wow, I've been going for well I've been going for well over an hour, folks. I was trying to relaunch with a uh, with a with a with a model of let's make this the short podcast for for people who don't have all day to listen to one man rant about one brand, but I got to say, there's a lot of podcasts that will under-deliver in their time delivery, so you're going to get the nitty-gritty and all of the relevant conversation to the week's worth of NXT. In this case, it was two weeks, so that could also contribute to the fact that this returning to Back in Black and Gold episode is uh, is going a little bit over than initially thought I would uh, I would be drifting into this week. But just to dip back and introduce the concept... The black and gold retro reverse look back, however we're putting it, the throwback, throwback, whatever day of the week you're particularly listening to this as. I wanted to call this a throwback Thursday and record on Thursday. I'm recording on Friday now, just given how life gets in the way and some technical difficulties. So however you want to perceive this, the throwback match of the week that I'm recommending to all of you is Johnny Gargano versus Alistair Black. That's right. Two other personal favorites of mine, Alistair Black and Johnny Gargano at NXT TakeOver War Games from Los Angeles. Now, the Los Angeles idea, I mean, that inspired why I brought this, why I wanted to bring this match up first, but it was also just one of those greats from the 2018 era of NXT. Kind of a match that flew under the radar with Aleister Black, now Malachi Black in AEW, and with Johnny Gargano still finding footing in main roster booking. I want—I just wanted a reminder of how good 
this storyline that really extended all of that summer really was. It went from the summer and the parking lot assaults and all of all of these puzzle pieces being put together until Nikki Cross would finally help in the culmination of this story and Aleister Black and Johnny Gargano would have a great matchup at TakeOver War Games 2. Aleister Black would end up forgiving Johnny Gargano for his sins by the end of that one. So that's my recommendation. If you're fortunate enough to still have the WWE Network, or if you're a poor United States schlub like myself and have to sift through Peacock to find it, that is my NXT Black and Gold throwback of the week. Now I say of the week because I'm hoping to be as consistent in this release schedule as I possibly can. A week ends end of week release so that my NXT fanatics out there can get a listen in prior to Tuesday's edition of NXT. Now, ideally, this is recording on Thursday, releasing on Friday, obviously not falling through this week, but this episode will release over the weekends in time for a Monday commute or Monday at your desk or whenever you find the chance and schedule to give give a listen to this. And it'll be up on YouTube as well for the very first time. Ironically, when I first got on Spotify and I got accepted to it is when I stopped putting out new episodes. So this will be the first brand new episode to release seamlessly onto Spotify. But I just took a look, gang, and I decided if Spotify is going to charge me for a year's worth of a podcast that I did not put out, it's not fair to me and it's not fair to anybody who might have supported me and listened to this show in the past. So coming full circle to where I started this show, rounding it back from all of the wrestling discussion, I just want to thank anybody who took this time out of their day to sit here and chat, because I know you're talking to yourself, at what the, what is this guy thinking, or I agree with that, or I agree with that, but I don't agree with this, or I don't agree with all of that, but this good point was made. I know how a pro wrestling fan listens to a pro wrestling podcast, so I want to be able to contribute to that fortunate part of your day. Whether you're trying to brighten up the humdrum of sitting at your desk or you're stuck in traffic during your commutes or you're good enough to have a nice drive and you're in a very good position and you want to listen to some wrestle talk for the good or for the bad, I'm just glad I'm happy to be with you on your radio, on your headphones, on your earbuds, however you're listening to me. I really want to thank each and every... I want to thank you for each and every minute spent listening to this guy talk NXT. This is CD Danny Mac. Don't forget to follow the show at podcast underscore UF on Twitter. The YouTube channel will be up soon. I'm not formally plugging it here, but I'm letting everybody know that it will be developing soon. I don't know if there's going to be some actual video content. It might be some artwork and the audio. I'll see exactly how things want to play out on my end technically, but when you search NXT podcast, it's so seldom in its search results. So my my goal is to be number one. My goal is to be number one on YouTube when it comes to search results on NXT podcast. So I'll let you know when I'm put in a position for everybody to help me out there. Drive safe, stay safe. If anybody's like me and unfortunately trapped in some leftover residue and remnants of Canadian wildfires, you know, stay safe, 
breathing your air and keeping your lungs healthy and doing whatever you got to do. Make it through the next day. I don't know where I'm going with this outro, so I'm going to click the music and the music's going to kick in any time now. I'm CD Danny Mac. You've been listening to the UFP show all about the NXT show, the Undisputed Future Podcast. Thank you once again, and I will talk to you next time.